What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Off the Rails Podcast, episode 15, NHL trade day, trade deadline day. Here, gone, moves were made, Bruins made moves, every other team pretty much made a move. I'm your host, Anthony Verasso, joined by, as always, partner in crime down in Massachusetts, Mikey McCarthy. Mikey, what's up, buddy? Not much. What's up? Oh, you know, just cholesterol, blood pressure. The same. Like nerves that time in college. Nerves about them Philadelphia Flyers? No, no, not at all. They've been shit since, I don't know, beginning of February. So I ain't nervous at all. But Mikey, let me ask you something. All right. Are you nervous when it's time to buy a house? Am I nervous when it's time to buy a house? Well, let me tell you, you don't have to be. You know why? This episode that we're talking on right now. This one, yes. If you listen, it can help you. You know why? Why is Because this episode of Off the Rails is brought to you by our good friend, Dan Letelier of Team Letelier over at REMAX Realty. And Dan is not only my man, but he's also your man, Mikey, when it comes to your buying or home selling needs. And you know what he does? He serves all of York and Cumberland County up he's here in the up here in the great state of Maine, Michael. He's our guy. He is. And you can reach him via email at danletelier at remax.net. Uh, or, and we'll have this up on our page as well, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or by phone at 207-590-1776. Once again, 207 590 one seven seven six. My man's got the properties. Mikey, he's been showing me some houses that he's got listed. Some nice stuff, especially up here in Maine. Oh yeah. So Mikey, big news. The Bruins, they make a big, big trade. They get the 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 silver tuna mob. They acquire <laughs> from the Buffalo Sabres forward Taylor Hall. Uh they also get Curtis Lazar as well. But Mikey, the big name Taylor Hall, as a Bruins fan, what's your first thoughts? Well, right off the bat, you know, I I really don't like the player as a whole. I mean, he's been in the league for what ten plus years. Drafted played, in twenty ten. He's played. He's played in how many complete seasons? Yeah, he's had a lot I of. I feel like he's the type of guy injuries. who misses a lot of games, but I don't know if he comes into an organization where you know there's veteran leadership, and the key. I think the key word is leadership. If he's under that, under players like Bergeron, then who knows? I think you might be able to get the best out of him. Well, I mean, he did win the MVP a couple years ago back when he was with Jersey. But here's the guy now, drafted first overall in 2010 with Edmonton. Also um, minus player. Yeah, but you know what? You got to take the stain of Buffalo off of the, his stats. I yeah, mean, I don't but, really hold that against him all that I too mean, much. I mean, Buffalo made a trade a couple of weeks ago sending one of their backup goalies to Colorado. Everybody was laughing that off. The guy pitches a shutout the other night. So it's like, you know, is it the player or is it, the, the the system, the organization. Uh, but let's see. I think Lazar is a good pickup for the Bruins. I think you're going to see a lot from him, uh, maybe in like a third-line role. But, you know, we're going to have a guest on, Joe McDonald, in a little bit. So we'll obviously talk more about the Bruins, Taylor Hall trades, trades around the league. This is like a Nathan Horton type of pickup, if you ask me, for the Bruins. You get a guy on Krejci's wing now. Step Hall's a lot softer than Nathan Horton. He's got some size to him, though, and, you know, well, if he's going to go into the leadership, like you said, can he kind of play a gritty playoff type of game because the hits come in the playoffs, and I think that's that's one big thing you're going to want to see from Taylor Hall. Is he going to be able to take the hits, and is he going to be able to score? Now, right, and, you know, I think another big thing, too, is 
he did have a no trade clause too, and it sounds like he really wanted to come to Boston. So we'll see how that meshes. Maybe his head screws on a little more. So I think it'll definitely be interesting. And like I said earlier, I think I think you might be able to get the best out of him now in this current situation. Hey, you know what? Uh, contrary to what or the stuff that you've read online, it's after his Zoom call, he he was pretty much going to come to Boston this off season, but the money was a little bit better in Buffalo and. I guess if you want to say Taylor Hall played it right, he got his big ticket for $8 million and now he gets to come to Boston. So um, via trade on NHL trade deadline, good for him. Like we said, we'll go more in depth with that with Joe in a bit. Uh, Mikey, another Bruin goaltender making his NHL debut this past week. The product of Maine, Jeremy Swayman, makes his first career start the other night against the Philadelphia Flyers, getting a win. Uh, won his next start against the Capitals. Uh, very impressive Three first three games in the NHL by Swayman, two one and zero. Mikey, he he looks really good and calm in that. Does look really calm in that, especially. And uh, you know, does he look good? Yes, but you know, I still want to see more because I I don't like to I don't like to fall in love with guys who are on such a small track record. Like it's only been three games. Yeah, he's looked absolutely great so far. But you know, I still think it's early to make a decision on the kid. But so far, so good. Yeah, and, you know, again, I, the one thing I'll say is, and I joke with my brother all the time, the Bruins used to have a goaltender. I don't want to say his name, but this was back in, like, the early 2000s. Is he a Finn? Maybe. Anytime a goal was scored on him, he was always in a split. For some Why reason. Why don't you want to say his name? Because I don't want to. So anytime, I know his name. Who is, oh, come on, can I say it? No. Anytime a goaltender, I mean, anytime somebody would score on him, whether it's a shot from the point, you know, a two-on-one, this guy would always end up in a split for whatever reason. And I kind of think uh, Swayman has the splits, but whatever. Obviously, he's a damn good goalie, and you cannot teach composure in net, Mikey. And the kid's got it. I mean, you look at Maine. He was um, voted best goaltender in college hockey, the Mike Richter Award. Uh, he starts off in Providence this year, goes like 7-0 and to start, like just incredible numbers. You know, I don't think he's going to bust on the scene right away like he right. it looks like. But I think he's going to compete. He's going to at least be the backup next season. I think he'll compete for the starting job next season. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, I just want to go back quickly on in that game against Philly. I think it was his first game against Philly. Man, they were firing everything they had. It seemed like every chance Philadelphia got, they were firing pucks at him. And he handled the pressure well, especially in that second period. But, you know. Over his first three games, I think the one knock you could give him is maybe maybe he's a little too aggressive. But, you know, I'm optimistic that with the right coaching, he'd be able to, you know, correct some of those mistakes. Because there, uh, there was a goal recently. I forget I forget who scored on him. But, man, he was just so far out. They made the extra pass, and then boom, wide open. That was, yeah, that was the game Saturday, the second one against Philly, Katori. Right. I mean, so I, he is a little aggressive. That's fine. But say what you want. The Bruins have a really good goalie coach in Bob Asenza. Um, I'm sure he'll work with them, but yeah, they're in a good position too. They have, uh, you know, two guys who who might actually be the future goaltending of the Bruins, right, right in their lap in front of them. So, well, let me ask you this: This leads me to my next question. What does this mean for Tuca now? His contract's up after the season. See, I think it's funny. I think because this kind of crossed my mind, and I, I was sort of thinking if the Bruins didn't make the type of trades they made, I think you could have made made an argument that you know maybe you do start, you know. Swayman or Vladar or whoever, someone besides Rask in the playoffs. But with this current with this uh, current roster, the deal for Hall, the deal for Mike Riley and Lazar, I just feel like 
it's setting up a run for Tuka Rask to make one more kick at it. So that's just kind of where my head's at right now. I can see that. I get it. But Rask has become so unreliable. And I am, between me and you, I'm the the guy that gives Tuka the most, oh, like, I, yeah. the longest oh, leash. You're, you're always against him. I wanted to trade him but, five years ago. But you know what, Mikey? When you're competing for the cup in the playoffs, I don't Best care guys. if you've been playing here 10 years or 10 minutes. You ride the hot hand. We've seen rookie always. goaltenders the last couple of years carry their teams to the cup. Jordan Bennington was a rookie. Matt Murray was technically a rookie both times in the back-to-backs when Pittsburgh won the cup. You know, I'm not saying throw all the be- uh, all your eggs in the Swayman basket, but if he's out playing Tuca, go with him. The year the Capitals won the cup, Hopi was playing like shit down the stretch. They went with Grubauer the first couple games against Columbus in their first mm-hmm. round. Granted, Grubauer played like crap, and so they went back to Hopi, but you got to go with the hot hand with goaltender. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of the past goaltenders who have won cups, it's like, you know, go back to Matt Murray, Jordan Bennington. It's like, I feel like the elite goalies in this league, yeah, you know, they have all the numbers, the trophies, whatnot. But I think the one thing in common that neither of them neither of them have is a Stanley Cup championship. I mean, you just go down the list. Tuka Rath, you know, I don't really want to give him credit for that 2011 Cup. Let's just face it. He was a backup. He didn't play anything in the playoffs. But, you know, Tuka Rath, Henrik Lundqvist, Carey Price, you know, I could just go on and on. And it's just the one thing all those guys have in common, they don't have Stanley Cups. So, you know, but – when it's crunch time, I want my best players out there. I still think Rask is the best goalie right now out of out of the four that are there. But, you know, in the playoffs, if Rask isn't having a good start, I think they got to give him a quick leash. Yeah, I, I would think so as well. I mean, um, going back another season, just thinking off the top of my head, I think it was 2015, right? The last cup that Chicago won, that first round, they were struggling against Nashville. They pulled um, Crawford and they put in – Scott Darling for a couple of games. So I'd like to see the Bruins have a quick leash in the playoffs to Tuca if, if they go with him. But uh, that's my next question, Mikey. So Swayman, uh, yes, yeah, Swayman, Halak and Tuca, both free agents after this season, unrestricted free agents. Now, because of the stupid expansion draft coming up, they don't have to be protected, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm going to spare the listeners the popsicle headache. <laughs> so here's the game. Next season, it's open at night. October, I don't know, 5th or whatever at the Garden. Who is the starter and the backup goalies for the Bruins? I'm going to go Swayman and Vladar are the two goalies. I don't I don't want really? Rask. But I don't want Rask. I think I think Rask time in Boston after the season is done. I think it should be. I think I think it's over. Um it just it hasn't really worked out the I mean, look at. He's gotten you to some big games. He has absolutely gotten you to some big games, but man, I just think everything always has to come to I think it's I, I, I'm out on Tuca. I think a lot of the fans are out on Tuca, and I think the team should be too. I think it's time to move on, get some fresh blood in net. And what better and what better way to do that than have Swayman start, and have and have your two goalies who you groomed from Providence come up and start playing next season. Well, here's my thing. And Halak, I want great either. No, he has. I mean, I, I, you guys, you Bruins fans, have been scream, screaming for Halak for years, and it's like. Do we not see what he's been throughout his whole career? He's a damn good backup, but when he's a starter, he's nothing. And he's also the same guy that when he got traded from the Blues to the Capitals way back when, the Capitals' next game was against the Blues, and he went to management and said, I don't want to play. Like, I have too much of an emotional connection with my former teammates. Like, so that don't let's not forget about that. <laughs> but if you're asking me, I think I like the, the way you move. 
the smart thing for the Bruins is to have Tuca re-signed on a oh, small come on. It's one, time to move on. One to two year deal. Oh. He'll take a cheap money, hopefully, because he's he said he he'll doesn't want to go anywhere money, else. He'll, he'll be he'll be gone for four weeks. Yep. It might that's the best thing you want. Okay. If he's gone, just just more playing time for Swayman to really jump up, grab the bull by the just horns, and on. take just over that starting on. spot. Just move on already. Mikey, Mikey, we've seen Swayman play three freaking games, okay? Here's a kid just out of college where they play at most. Why what, is he playing like three games, games right now? Because you have an $8 million goalie is nowhere to be found. Again, what I'm saying, though, in college hockey, I think at most you'll play 40 games or whatever. So we don't know if Swayman can uphold an 82-game regular season. That's it's going to take Absolutely a year fair. or two. I want to find gonna- out. Go ahead. If you're going to find out next season, then get you're probably not going to make the playoffs because these rookies do it. They hit the wall mid-January, and their well, like confidence said, goes to shit. Can we wait for the playoffs and see like who the start? Because, okay, you mentioned, let's just say Swayman's the hot guy going into the playoffs. Would your opinion change? No. I would go really. Take you still Swayman. want them to bring yes. back Rats next season? Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, Anthony, come on. Are you serious? Yeah, Pittsburgh did it. Pittsburgh did it with Flurry and Murray. Oh, good for Pittsburgh. They got him back-to-back cups. Yeah, well, we're not talking. Well, I want to win one first. You can't win two without one. Well, you can't win one with Tuka, apparently. (laughs) As I I said that, I'm like, ah, shut up, jackass. No, I just think you have Tuka. Worst-case scenario, he misses 30 games, and that's more time in the net for Swayman to acclimate his game hone his craft, and really take it over. I think that's a smart move for the Bruins. What yeah, are you going to do? Case, you yeah, cannot... Best case scenario, he runs under and hides under his basement for six weeks. Come on. We didn't bring up Tim Thomas yet. <laughs> uh, the guy that actually brought the Bruins a cup. But, yeah. you know, I just think... Who's, who's also my aggressive move. goalie? What the hell do I know? Yeah. Well, dude, nobody knew how the hell that guy played net, but whatever. <laughs> Even he his, said like, it. I love his, like... Weird cross combination mask where it's like kind of standard, but it's like kind of want to be old school at the same time. Thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, that that was the only thing that was funny. Um, but Mikey, what do you say we uh, toss it over to our guests and talk some NHL trades? Yeah. All right. And joining us now, a man that's covered the NHL for I don't want to say many years because he still looks pretty young. <laughs> From the Worcester Telegram and Gazette, somebody I've had the pleasure of working with for a couple of years now, Joe McDonald. Joe, what's going on? It's, I think I'm at 23, guys. Yeah, this is my 23rd year covering the NHL. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that compliment, Anthony. I don't think I look, you know, any younger, but, uh, you know, I guess maybe a few libations here and there kind of keep me fresh, I guess. I don't know. Wow, I can't believe 23 years you've been covering the league because – when I talked to you, like you know, about hockey last time, we were just talking about stories and when you were covering the playoffs in 2016 and stuff like that. But so you've pretty much seen it all. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I I started basically at the Providence Journal and I started in circulation, and uh, you know, I was a glorified paperboy basically, and then I got the job in the sports department as an editorial assistant, and and you know i started off covering high schools and local colleges and even youth sports in, in rhode island and just kind of gained experience hands hands-on experience even before i i finished school and 
uh, it was great. Like I was just so fortunate to, to have the, the career path that I've had. And then after eight years of, of working the sports desk, I, you know, finally I was promoted to, you know, a full-time sports writer. Uh, and right away I started covering the Providence Bruins, the Boston Bruins, the Tucker Red Sox and the Red Sox, uh, you know, throwing some Patriots here and there. And, and, you know, I was off and running. So I've been, I've been very fortunate in my career to the different places that I've worked and, and all the, the great people that I've met and, uh, you know, I've just been I've been fortunate and I'm fortunate now to continue to do it with the Whistle Telegram and back in the newspaper world. Uh, and it, it's it's going great. And, um, you know, I'm just very thankful for all the opportunities that I've had along the way. Nice. Yeah, I've been seeing your pictures on Twitter. You're out at uh, Polar Park there, the new Worcester Red Sox ball field. So it looks pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a great ballpark. Uh, you know, it's going to be an exciting season, you know, their inaugural season. And, you know, being a Rhode Island guy, born and raised, you know, to be honest, it was pretty difficult to see the Pawtucket Red Sox uh, leave Rhode Island. Um, There's always a good time going to Pawtucket. Oh, McCoy Stadium was fantastic. I mean, I can remember going there as a kid with my family. And, exactly. You know, and it, it was awesome. And and it was funny when I, when I was at the Athletic, uh, I wrote a column basically saying that I'm never going to step foot in Worcester. I'm never going to a Woo Sox game. It's not <laughs> happening now. You know, now you know six, seven months later, after writing that that column, uh, now I'm the beat writer, the Woo Sox beat writer for the Worcester Telegram. So uh, I'm <laughs> nice. sure somebody's going to dig that up at some point on social media and be like, "Oh, I thought you said you weren't coming to Worcester." But sounds like the yeah, smiley it's... face got to you. The smiley face got to me. You know, it's uh, <laughs> honestly, I, I was um, I've been. <laughs> Pleasantly surprised that, you know, Worcester is a is a great city. And, and once the ballpark and the canal district around it is completely finished uh, and, you know, within a season or two and fans, you know, with full capacity, it's going to be an awesome spot to go and take a family or friends or whatever to, to go to a baseball game. And uh, I am I've been you know, the organization is a is a top notch organization and the ballpark is is just awesome. Um, and the best part is it's only 28 minutes from my house. So, hey, there we go. Nice. Sure. Commute. Right? Easy commute. <laughs> All right, Joe, we got you on here. NHL trade deadline is coming gone. The Bruins make a loud splash. Taylor Hall from the Buffalo Sabres. Some other moves as well. But Joe. What are your thoughts on Taylor Hall coming to Boston? Guys, this is a solid move by Donnie Sweeney. You, you have to give him credit. Uh, and and you, you can't look at Hall's, you know, production this season or the fact that this is his, what, fifth team, you know, in his career. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously those are those are red flags. But when you look at how the Bruins acquired him without giving up a lot, um, you know, it, they took a chance and it – it could work out very well in Boston's favor. You know, he's going to come in here. He's a motivated guy. He wants to prove that he was a former first rounder and a former league MVP for a reason. And he, look, he's only 29 years old and he's looking for a, one more long-term contract. Uh, and he knows that he's coming into a team, an established NHL team, a team that has been to the Stanley Cup final three times with this, this veteran core, has won it back in 2011. So it, this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I do. I like it. I like the other pieces as well. Uh, you know, you have a guy like Riley on the back end. Uh, he's, I think that that deal is going to fly under the radar a, a, a little bit. Uh, and then you got a guy like uh, like Lazar who's, who's coming in. He's going to be a, a fourth line guy. 
uh, could push Sean Crowley out of the, out of the lineup. Uh, he has struggled this season. Um, so, you know, Donnie Sweeney, you have to give him some credit. They, he made some some very solid acquisitions, but you're right. The, the Hall uh, deal is just is a good one for Boston. And he'll start, uh, he'll, you know, he'll be in the lineup Tuesday night against Buffalo Sabres, his former team. And he's going to start at least with David Krejci. He's going to play the left side with David Krejci in the middle and, and Craig Smith on the right, which means Pasternak can go up back up to the top line and, and play with Bergeron and, and uh, Brad Marsh. And so this has the opportunity to be, uh, to add a lot of energy on and off the ice for the Bruins. Uh, the Bruins have been grinding away this season through injuries and tough schedules and uh, everything that all this adversity that they face. But, um, this could be a, a good sign of, of things to come for the Bruins. We'll just have- so I I still cannot believe. Well, let me ask you this first. It when I heard the trade, it almost had the Nathan Horton feel to it back in you know when the Bruins got him in twenty that off season there in twenty ten. Yep. I feel like they got that big sized winger now that Krejci can be happy with. But if you're Buffalo, how the hell do you trade this guy to the Bruins, a division rival? and at least not get back a conditional pick that could be a first. You know, like, I get Hall's stats are bad. Mikey and I have talked about it. It's the taint of Buffalo, right? Like, everything there stinks. But it's a division rival that you've been rivals with for years, and that's all you got back? I, I'm If I'm a Buffalo fan, I'm pretty pissed off. Well, there's a couple of factors that uh, that are in effect here. So you figure, one, Buffalo's out of the playoffs, right? Eichel's probably done for the season. Uh, two Hall has a no trade clause. So basically it's up to him where, you know, if he accepts a trade um, and the, he basically was very open uh, with management in Buffalo and, and with the Bruins and his agent that I want to play in Boston. And that's basically what allowed him uh, to land here. And the other thing too, is that there was really, no big market for him because of all those red flags we talked about earlier. It's like, okay, this is his fifth team. And, uh, you know, he's never won. And there's been rumors of, you know, he's, you know, he's not a good guy in the room or, you know, he kind of stays to himself and he's not really a, a big leader. Uh, and he only has two goals. And like, so it's not like you're getting this guy who's having a great year. You're getting a, a player who's not having a very good year, who admitted that his confidence is at a, almost an all-time low, uh, which, again, throws up a red flag. Like, you know, here's this guy who's struggling and, uh, you know, both, you know, on the ice and maybe, you know, emotionally, you know, mentally, and, and you're, you're taking a chance on him. Um, so that's why I think they were able to get him. They wanted him in the offseason. Um, but again, there was just, uh, you know, they were, the Bruins were up against the cap situation. There's also some, um, and I wrote about it, uh, today, uh, you know, a lot of the scouting reports, you know, advanced scouting reports on his game basically had him as he's lost the step. He's not as ex- explosive as he has been in the past, which again, you know, is, is a cause for concern, but, uh, the Bruins were able to look past all of that and, you know, to the Sabres credit, they, they did, they, they gave him up for, 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 you don't want to say nothing because, you know, Anders Bjork is is a good young player and and given a different role, he could have a better NHL career, uh, you know, given more responsibility with the team that he wasn't going to see with the Boston Bruins. So uh, I know there's a lot to it guys, but 
you know, at, at the end of the day, he's, you know, Taylor Hall's in Boston and, and the Bruins have a pretty good, you know, a, a pretty good opportunity in front of him here. And it is, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, yeah, quickly. I was just going to say on Hall. Um, so do you think with him coming to the Bruins, you know, uh, so there's been a lot of talks about him being surrounded by true professionals. I mean, I think this might be kind of the last resort for him. And I mean, for only give up a second round pick for him as well. I think, I think that's going to benefit the Bruins, but I don't know. I think, I think the fact that you have Taylor Hall now, he's not really the centerpiece guy. He's surrounded by some true professionals on this team. I think that helps out his confidence a lot too. It, it does Mikey. And you can even, you can even take this back to the very beginning. Uh, in 2010, when it was when it was Hall and Sagan, uh, you know numbers one and two, and and where are they going to go? And and Edmonton's going to get the first pick, and who are they going to pick? And you know what if Boston had the first pick? Who who would they would have chosen? And back then, you know people would you know scouts, you know management, GMs, coaches, they would have all agreed that Sagan was it was a better player, was the, had more ability more upside than Hall, but there was the maturity level back at that, at that point that uh, Sagan was, was immature and, and, you know, not to get into it, but we all know that's one of the main reasons why the Bruins, you know, traded him. Um, and, right. but with Hall, he was, uh, he was a little more mature. He was a little more focused. Um, so that's why he went first overall. And the, the pressure that he's been under since then to perform, uh, he just hasn't lived up to expectations and he's never had, um, that he's never had that almost like that, that mentorship of a solid group. Right. right? So now all of a sudden he comes into Boston and he's not the focal point. Uh, he's not. And I made this example today. It was almost like the reason why Phil Kessel was able to win two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins was because he played behind guys like Crosby, Malkin, uh, like go go down the list. I mean, they had yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, they had an outstanding team, and he wasn't the focal point. Where it's almost the same thing here with Hall and Boston because you have Bergeron, Marchand, Krejci, Tukarask. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, and then this Taylor Hall. So there's not going to be a lot of pressure on him to come in. He can he can just forget about the outside distractions and, and just focus on hockey. And other players in Boston uh, who have come to Boston, I should say, have had similar uh, results, and it's, it's worked out well for the Bruins. So um, I think that's why it's just the other teams that he's been in, he's always been the focal point, but now he, he can come in here, just focus on hockey, nothing else. He's got the, the veteran core around him to help him through. He's got a great coaching staff here in Boston. So I think again, that this is going to work out well for the Bruins. Um, not to get back into the whole, like confusing part of this, but the whole first round pick. So the Bruins keep theirs. I saw a report. It might've been last week, the week before that Seattle, you know how Vegas, when they first came in with the expansion draft, you know, behind the scenes, the GMs would have to wheel and deal. Like, we'll give you this pick. Don't take right. this player from our um, our list here. Seattle, is they're starting off. They want a first-round pick for, for them not to take a player from an exposed list. Do the Bruins now use that first-round pick to go to Seattle and be like, hey, don't take this guy off our unprotected list? Well, it's that's a good point, Anthony. And, and I mean, that 
certainly that happens and it could happen. Uh, the one thing we know about Don Sweeney is that he loves his first round picks. And uh, in the past where he's had to give them up, you know, to get a player at the deadline, you know, he wasn't too happy about it. Um, that That is always a possibility uh, at this point. I just think it's, it's maybe not too early because these GMs are always thinking about, okay, we got the expansion draft coming up. So maybe we can get, you know, you know, player X, and then that's going to be the player that, uh, that we can put into the draft and we don't have to protect and we don't have to sign, uh, you know, to an extension or something along those lines. So, you know, it's a good question. uh, But at this point, I, I really don't know what Sweeney has, has planned for that. Uh, certainly he brought in guys like, uh, like John Moore, for example. I mean, that was probably, uh, one to add depth and two new knowing that there was an expansion draft coming up. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that that's a good point. It'll be interesting to see, um, how they, you know, how they figure that out. But, um, yeah, I, at this point, I, I, I really don't know. So in the last five games, David Poshnock, you know, kind of quiet, you know, five games, two points. I think they were both assists minus three. As the season winds down and if the Bruins sort of, you know, clinch that playoff spot, do you think there's any chance that the Bruins kind of rest him and try to get him right for the playoffs? Or do you think they kind of grind it out with him for the rest of the season? Well, this is a different kind of season, right? I mean, the schedule is just is insane, right, Mike? I mean, you look at they just finished five games in seven days, which is just mind boggling to think that, you know, any professional or any athlete would have to play that many games in a short amount of time. But obviously we're in different uncertain times right now and and you know they just they got to grind through it um so i think as if they get into the playoffs given the condensed schedule i think bruce cassidy may be um opposed to years past he may feel that guys could use a day off i mean that's why they have the ta- you know the taxi squad and and you know they have that ability to insert players into the lineup um, I mean, maybe, but the other thing too, is because he's been struggling and I think that changes now that he's going to be back playing on that top line, uh, because of ladies playing with David Krejci, just because of the, so many injuries mm-hmm. they've had to try to balance that lineup. But now that he's going to be back and the perfection line is going to be intact. Uh, I think you're going to see a surge in, in Pasta's performance. And the thing with him is that when he's going well, you want to keep it going. Um, and I think right. with, with him specifically, if he's playing well down the stretch, and we're, we're basically into the stretch run now uh, in the last month uh, of the, the regular season here, uh, if he's playing well, I, I think they're just going to they're gonna roll with it. Uh, if he needs a maintenance day here and there, you know, maybe they get it. They're not going to be practicing a lot in the next month just because of the, the schedule. So, yeah, it, it's a good point. I mean, do you do that with Bergeron? Do you do it with Martian? I mean, they, they did it to some extent. Uh, you know, in that eight-one loss to the Capitals, was you know those guys didn't see the ice in the third period almost because you know the game's out of hand and you know they're exhausted and just you know find ways to get them rest in different ways and and that's one way. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. Cassidy usually leaves it up to the players as well. Like if he sees something glaring, then he'll step in. But he'll ask a player, "Do you want to play or you know do you want to take a, a maintenance day or do you think you need a game off?" and and what we know about the Boston Bruins is normally it's, no, I want to play. Um, but like I said, given the condensed season and, and the, the tough schedule ahead, it will be interesting to see um, how these players are rested and managed down the stretch. Uh, Joe, another piece coming to the Bruins in the Hall deal, Curtis Lazar. 
a former first-round pick of the Sens back in 2013. He likes his cheeseburgers, as we've seen <laughs> um, back when they had the Hamburglar in that. Um, what can you tell us about what the Bruins fans can expect? He's going to be a typical Boston Bruin. Uh, he really is. And just speaking with him on the Zoom call today, he's fired up about coming to Boston. He's a gritty player. Uh, he plays that Bruins style of hockey where his first shift, uh, you know, if if it is – uh, it might not be. Uh, it probably won't be tomorrow. Uh, it, you know, he, he may take him a, a couple of days to kind of get acclimated. And, and I know he's been dealing with a, a lingering issue here. But uh, once he's in the lineup, uh, I think he's going to be a fan favorite. Uh, you know, he's probably going to get out there in his first shift and throw a big hit and, and be ready to go. Um, and if you look at the four players right now that are vying for spots in that fourth line, you got – Trent Frederick, who, who's currently out with a with due to an upper body injury, uh, then you have you know uh, uh, Sean Corrali, who has really struggled this season uh, with inconsistent play. Uh, then you have Chris Wagner, and now and, and now you got uh, Lazar. And if you look at the numbers alone, um, Lazar has uh, I think he has nine points uh, this season, which is well above what those other guys have. So yeah, I think. If they put him in the middle, then he could push Corrali out of the lineup. And, you know, maybe that energizes the fourth line a little bit as well. So uh, fans can expect a, a gritty little guy who's, who's not afraid to mix it up and, and play in those dirty areas and get the puck deep and go chase it. And uh, it's, it, it could be fun to watch, you know. And who knows? Maybe it, it gets Sean Corrali going a little bit too, knowing that he's got a little bit of competition. But, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he'll be, a, he'll be a fourth line guy for the Bruins. And, and he'll definitely add a little bit of spark. Uh, same kind of question with Mike Riley, defenseman from Ottawa. The Bruins get him today as well. Is he strictly a depth guy? Like, what could we well, expect? Well, given him? Uh, if the back end is healthy, uh, then he adds depth. But uh, as of right now, he adds. A, he's only twenty-seven, but he adds some a little more experience than the younger guys, uh, the, the Lozans and the Zaboros of the world. Um, you know, he, he has a little more experience. Uh, he's a good puck moving defenseman. He can go back on pucks, retrieve pucks, make a good first pass. Uh, and it, you know, if he finds chemistry with, with whether it's, you know, being a left shot D, maybe he plays with Kevin Miller, uh, you know, when, once everyone's healthy and, and his presence with, you know, Riley's presence basically could push Borrell out of the lineup and, and he's struggled, uh, this season as well. So I really like this pick a lot, Anthony. I, you know, when I, when I broke the news about it after Sunday's game, you know, it was like, Hmm, even if they don't do anything else, we kind of felt that, you know, Sweeney would, would do something knowing that Hall was in the, in the mix, but even if they hadn't done anything else, given how depleted the back end is for the Bruins, uh, that was a, a very sneaky, sneaky, good move for Sweeney. And, you know, he, I believe he still has term remaining on his contract. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun to watch him play in a Bruins uniform as well. Yeah. Going into this deadline, I, I thought the Bruins should have prioritized DU a little bit more. Uh, I know, Mikey, you had some thoughts on the Riley deal as well. I mean, I just like it. I mean, on the fact that, you know, he played 40 games and about half those games he's gotten about at least an assist. So I'm, I'm kind of optimistic, like you said, about his puck moving abilities and the fact that, you know, he just seems to be involved a lot, and I think that's going to help the defense, especially, you know, on the offense. Yeah, side. he will. And, I mean, that's the reason why they, they went out and they got him. 
Um, you know, and we've seen it since, you know, McAvoy's been out and Grizzly has been out and Carlo and, and Miller that the Bruins have an inability to move the puck cleanly out of their own end when those guys are out of the lineup. And listen, as well as some of these young defensemen have played at times this season, do you really want to go through a possible two-month Stanley Cup playoff run with, you know, that young of a defensive core in case of injuries like we're seeing right now with the Bruins? And the answer is no, you don't. So you need to shore up that depth. And Sweeney did that with getting a guy like Riley. And I think, you know, again, a change of scenery for him. And he knows, you know, that the Bruins mentality from when he was in Montreal. And and now he's going to, he's going to come in here and, and, uh, and, and see what, see what he can do. But um, I do, I, I like to pick a lot and we'll just have to see how it plays out. So, Joe, I got a question. Am I stupid for thinking that the Leafs this time around can be different in the playoffs? <laughs> I mean, they go out, they get Felino, they get Riddich and Nett from Calgary. They've made some good moves. They seem tougher. The leadership in that room looks like it's better than years past, especially, like I said, Felino, former captain Columbus. Can Toronto make a deep run? Uh, Yeah, they, they, they actually can, Anthony. And, and when – you know, the news broke that they acquired Felino right away. That's that's what I thought. Like, okay, the Maple Leafs are uh, legit. And I'm a guy who likes to give examples, okay? And I, like I mentioned earlier about Phil Kessel in, in Pittsburgh, with Felino in Toronto, he gives them almost exactly what Mark Recchi gave the Bruins when he was here. Uh, he gives them that experience. He gives them that leadership on and off the ice. It's even though, you know, those those young players in Toronto are, are established NHLers, they still haven't had the experience of a guy like Felino. And he can come in here and he can not here, Toronto. He can go into Toronto and he could he will immediately own that room. Okay. He will be front and center after every game, answering questions. I mean, he's been a captain. And again, it will take the pressure off those those young superstars in, in Toronto uh, because he'll be that guy who's front and center. And he adds a lot to that team, again, on and off the ice. So, yeah, I, I think that was a, a great move by the Maple Leafs to go out and get him. And he's, yeah, he could be a, the X factor for the Maple Leafs to possibly finally go on a, a deep run in the Stanley Cup. Me and Anthony have debated this for a little bit. So I know there's still more hockey left to be played and some situations might happen, but if you're the Bruins after the season, do you maybe bring back Rask on another year or two at a, like a low-end deal or is, it t- or is it just time to move on? Yeah, that, it's a great question, Mikey. And, you know, I'm, I've said it, you know, for the last year, year and a half that I really believe that once this contract was up, for Tuca that he was going to, he was going to retire that he was going to call it quits. Uh, and we could give all the different examples that have happened in the last calendar year. But, uh, and now that he's dealing with his back injury um, and now that, he, you know, the Bruins are seeing that, you know, Swayman is the real deal and, and Vladar is, is, could be as well. And, you know, you have these two young goalies that could be the future of the Bruins between the pipes. And, you know, it makes you, not relax a little bit, but knowing that, okay, that this isn't a position that we're going to need to worry about in the future. 
the Bruins have done a very good job of developing these two goalies. Uh, and there's even Kyle Kaiser as well. Uh, I mean, he's a possibility uh, to develop into an NHL goalie as well. So uh, to answer your question, Mikey, I think, you know, my heart of hearts, I, I do believe that, you know, when this season is over, you know, maybe Tuca just decides that, you know, he's done. Um, I know he has said in the past yeah. that he wants to be a Bruin and wants to continue to play, but um, just the, you know, just the gut feeling that, that I have and um, that I don't know if, if that's in the cards for, for Tuca. Um, but without a doubt, when he decides, and this isn't anything negative against against Tuca, but when he decides to, to call it quits, then you have to give him credit. I mean, he's he's he is – you know, numbers and statistics aside, he's one of the best goalies in Bruins history. Uh, you know, he is. Thank and you. Unfortunately, uh, he's he's never, you know, hoisted that cup over his head as a starter. Um, if the Bruins win in 2019, then he would have been the, the Conn Smythe winner. And and all all this, you know, negativity to Artuka would have been a, a moot point. It would have been buried. But um, he is an elite goaltender. Um, and it's going to be, again, it's going to be interesting to see what his future holds, but I would be surprised if, if it continues past this season. Yeah. So I think I, it's time I, to move on. I agree with you in 2019, Joe. He, if they win the cup, he's the MVP. I mean, he, he had a damn good playoffs that year. That Columbus series was very, very difficult. I mean, they had, uh, Duchesne, they had a, ta- a lot of guys that could score, but, my thing with Swayman is he looked great the first three games he's played, right? He's, he's a little aggressive. That's fine. But he's a college goaltender. At most, they play, what, 40, 45 games in a season? So, you know, he does look great. But let's see how he's going to handle a full-load NHL season, one where they're playing 82 games and the ups and downs and things like that before they anoint him the starter. So if it's not going to be Rask on a cheap deal maybe next year to – take that quote-unquote starting role and have Swayman take it over? Is there a possible goalie they can sign to be like that? Not the starter, but like the 1A to basically make Swayman take over the spot, but also be like, hey, you know, this isn't Well, hey, do you season. want to do that with Rask? I don't know. Would would Rask want to do that? You know, who knows? I mean, do you bring back Halak for another one-year deal and, and have him serve as, as the backup to Swayman or Vladar? But – the one thing we know about Sweeney, and we've seen it this year, is that uh, the, he has so much invested in the development of these players that they have scouted and drafted and signed and developed uh, that it's okay, it's time to bring that core up and let them kind of take over the landscape in Boston. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, they, you know, Tori Krug left and, and Zidane Chara left and, and now it's it's pretty impressive to see what these goaltenders have done, and maybe it's their turn. And I agree when you, you mentioned the fact that you know he was only a college goalie, but I've written about you know Swayman a lot in the last year, year and a half, and I've talked to you know the best goaltending coaches in the world about about this kid, and there isn't one negative thing about his work ethic on and off the ice his athleticism, his ability to, to play the position, his confidence. Uh, and he is an impressive kid. And the same could be say, said for Vladar. Um, but at this point, if you have to say, all right, is it going to be Swayman or Vladar in the future? 
you know, given the, the small sample size that we've seen, again, it, it is small. And, you know, he's running on adrenaline right now, which happens to a lot of, of young players that are called up for the first time. You have to point the future at, at Swayman as being the number one guy. So do you, do you rely on two young goalies moving forward after the season? Uh, they could. Um, but, yeah, who knows? I mean, it it's all up to Tuca. I mean, does he go on a one-year deal? We don't know, uh, but again, I would be, uh, I would be a little bit surprised if he would maybe accept a, a one-year deal to kind of be like a mentor kind of role uh, as maybe a backup or a one A one B to uh, a younger goalie. I just don't see that scenario happening. Well, I just you know obviously Swayman looks great and stuff like that, and a lot of the traits you just said when you were talking to goalie coaches throughout the world and things like that. One, the Bruins have a great goalie coach in Bob Asenzo. That's one. But two, a lot of the same traits were said about Carter Hart in Philly. And you're looking this year, and his confidence is gone. He can't stop anything. Yeah, the defense and the team has been bad, but that's kind of my fear about Swayman. It's like, let's not give him the keys just yet. Let's get him maybe a good veteran to mentor him, be behind him. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, you could go through – you know, history, and you could come up with a bunch of, especially recently, because it, the the game has gotten younger and the position has gotten a lot younger. You can go find a, a bunch of different examples of that. Um, and uh, again, you can go back to the Penguins, and you know when Matt Murray came up. I mean, he was on fire, and you got Mark Andre Fleury, who's one of the best goaltenders in the world at the time, and and this young goalie, very inexperienced, comes in, pushes Mark Andre Fleury out of the net. And this kid runs and, and leads him to a Stanley Cup final. And the next year, it wasn't as, as uh, you know, wasn't as on par as that 2016. And and what happens? And, you know, Flurry's back in the net and then he wins the Stanley Cup. Um, and, you know, it's a good scenario to have if, hey, listen, if Tuca is healthy at the end of the season, and say if they, they don't go on a deep run and he believes that there's one more season left in this court and he wants to come back in a one-year deal, then, yeah, that, that would probably be a, a perfect scenario, right? You have Tuca and then you have Swayman as, as the backup or Vladar as a backup. But, um, again, I just it, I think it's, it's too soon to, to try to figure out what Tuca's going to do. But, again, on a scenario like that, I'd be surprised if, if that comes to fruition. Uh, I'll dive back into some other moves around the league. The New York Islanders, Lou Lamorello, he made some noises last week. They get Palmieri and Zajac from the Devils. Today, trade deadline day, they also get Braden Coburn on defense, more of a depth piece. I love what they did getting not only Palmieri, but even Zajac. Like just to me, when you build a team, it's goalie, defense, and then strength down the middle. And I think the Islanders have when they got Palmieri, I gotta be honest, it was the first thing that jumped to my mind was Little Amarillo, you know, he's going after another Stanley Cup and, you know, he, they're going to do it. And, uh, you know, like, obviously I'm a hockey fan and I, I would I wouldn't mind seeing the Islanders go on a deep run. I wouldn't mind seeing them win it. Um, you know, Lou pulled off the right moves at the right time. Uh, and Paul Mary is, is going to add uh, a lot to that team. And we've already seen it. Um, you know, it's it, you know, that acquisition has gained a lot of buzz you know, in New York as well. Um, so yeah, you, you, the way they're currently constituted, you would have to say that the Islanders are a strong contender for the Stanley cup. All right. And Joe, I got to ask 
the Detroit Red Wings, you know, they didn't make a huge move, but they went, they took a lot of draft picks in. They snuck in a deal at the, right at the deadline, getting a first back from the Capitals. They also traded Mantha, but with the picks they're getting, they're just pretty much going to take all the picks for the next couple of years. With Stevie Y leading that team, are they going to be dominant in like four years? Yeah, Anthony, they, you know, Stevie Y wouldn't have gone back to Detroit and, and leave a great situation in Tampa if, Tampa if he didn't think that he could re, rejuvenize, you know, the Red Wing organization. And you see with the picks that, that they have now, I mean, they're loaded up. And if, you know, if we've, we know what, what he can do and we saw what he, he was able to do when he was with the Lightning, and he's going to try to do that with the Red Wings. And I'm sure he's going to accomplish it. So, yeah, I think within the next few seasons that the Red Wings team is going to be, you know, on the upswing, a completely different organization than what we've seen over the last couple of years. And you have to give Eisenman a lot of credit because uh, he's really he's really worked it well since he's, he returned to Detroit. And it's going to be exciting to see how, how, it, how it fares moving forward. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, real quick, winners and losers of the deadline? Well, you're going to go with the Bruins, um, you know, being objective here. I mean, getting uh, taking a chance on, on Hall when you really didn't have to give up anything was was pretty good. Uh, the Islanders, uh, we just talked about them. I mean, the, yeah. what Lou Lamarillo was able to do, uh, it was, was pretty awesome. And, you know, even Toronto getting Foligno. Uh, you have to really focus on those three teams as, as uh, you know, winners here at the deadline. There were other teams that I'm surprised really didn't do much or anything at all. Uh, but with the teams that did, they're obviously going to make a huge run and, and put it all on the table. So, uh, yeah, I would have to go with those three teams as, as being pretty pretty solid at the deadline. All right. Joe McDonald, you can read him at the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Joe, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, right. thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And once again, I want to say a huge thank you to Worcester Telegram and Gazette's own Joe McDonald. Great interview. Uh, we definitely want to have him back on for sure. Good Mike, chat. Mikey, that's just like nothing compared to what he knows about hockey. He's We've had private talks, him and I. He's well-connected into the sport, and he just knows so much. And honestly, he's just cool to, to talk with. And, you know, you heard there, he's going to – next time he comes up to Maine, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up and shoot the breeze and stuff. But uh, a little bit of breaking news, Mikey, as we were doing the interview, it came out that the Patriots – cut Julian Edelman because of a failed uh, physical. However, let's not, we're not going to say that's how he goes out. Julian Edelman has announced he is retiring from the NFL after a 12 year career. Mikey, your first thoughts. Well, my first thoughts were the whole Kendrick Bourne signing may, you know, I mentioned this earlier, that whole signing makes sense. Now it makes a little too much sense. It seems like the Patriots sort of knew this was kind of, you know, might be on the horizon a little bit because, we thought he might play. Then it came out that he's probably going to miss, you know, a decent chunk of games in the upcoming season. And then now he fails the physical. But did they overpay for Kendrick Bourne? Yes. But, man, I think it's hard to find receivers who are, you know, sort of nitty-gritty, tough, over-the-middle guys. And I think you might have that in Kendrick Bourne. That's what, that's my initial thought. Yeah, my initial thought was, how the hell do you replace a guy like that? Say what you want, Welker – same position, same kind of, you know, player. Oh, don't. But but when well, you sure. needed to have that catch, Edelman was money. 
I can't think of a time where he actually like let you down on a play. This man, the biggest hit I think I've ever seen a guy take was that Super Bowl against Seattle in 2014 across the middle, just gets smoked. Gets I think right up by Cam Chancellor. I think it was exactly gets up, thinks like he doesn't go down for some reason. Like, buddy, that Mack truck just hit you, but. Then come, <laughs> he got hit so hard he forgot he had a concussion. <laughs> comes back, gets the game-winning touchdown. I mean, what more can you say? The incredible catch against Atlanta in that comeback. I mean, Those the way – down conversions against Kansas City that season they won against um, uh, the Rams. Yes, in the AFC Championship game. Just countless times, and honestly, I'm glad he's not going to, like, Tampa Bay like Brady did or another team to hang on at the end, like, the man is a patriot. He came in a bat out of hell. He's going out a badass. Like, just how many more? There's not going to be another guy like him. With what we know with concussions this day and age, no one's going to want to risk their body like that. And it's a lock. He's going to be a Patriot Hall of Famer, whatever. Don't forget, too, seventh-round draft pick as a quarterback coming in and being the kind of receiver that he was. Exactly. From Kent Remarkable. State. As you said that, another great play just popped in my head. 2014 against Baltimore in the playoffs. He had that double pass. He had that pass to Amendola for a touchdown. And I mean, we can sit here and bore you with all the stats. I mean, you can go online and look it up yourself. But I just, it's just crazy that, like you said, like you said, the 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 report came out last week that he probably wasn't going to play a full season. He only played six games last year, and it's like, all right, you know, keep him fresh. Maybe they can make a late run with him, but. It's not going to be a Julian Edelman 12-year career announces his retirement, Mikey. You know, hell, like, again, you can't replace a guy like that. No, and you mentioned Wes Welker earlier. I hate – I'll take Julian Edelman eight days of the week out of seven, you know, over Wes Welker. I mean, was Wes Welker a good spot receiver here? Absolutely, especially that 2007 season. It was just absolutely – but the whole offense was ridiculous that year. But right. I – over the middle, guy in your face. I don't know. I'll take Edelman every single day over Wes Welker. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like you said, they signed Bourne from San Francisco. The draft's a couple weeks away. Trade number 15. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> just say, I'm just saying, you suck at drafting. You have for a while. You can't draft receivers even, even if you got a first-round pick to use on one in Nikhil Harry. Go well, out and trade for one. Go well, he sucks trade. at they suck at drafting offensive players in the first round. This in the first round they've fair drafted enough, fair enough, they've drafted fair decent enough. on defense. You know me, defense all day. But um, I just don't think the defense was is going to be a problem. You know what? Get another guy on defense. Trade somebody else then. But uh, yeah, like we said, Julian Edelman retires after a 12 year NFL career. All the best to him, his family, and uh, look forward to seeing what's next. That's right. Speaking of moves that I did not expect to be made, NFL had some moves last week. The Jets trading their franchise QB to the Carolina Panthers. That's Sam Darnold. But, Mikey, we'll touch upon that in a second. This kind of makes the Panthers' current QB, Teddy Bridgewater, available for a trade, you would think so, right? Absolutely. That's it? That You don't want to talk about it? Oh, I, 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 I thought you were going to continue. Oh, all right. I, you know, I just figured I did a lot of talking. I'd let you break it in, but that's fine. A lot of talking. It was 10 seconds. Oh, my God. You know what? I don't want to, like, steal all the time on the show, Mike. I, I got to let you flourish as well. Okay, Teddy Bridgewater might be available. Do you think the Patriots should want him? Yes. 
Why? Because his money is, is, isn't going to be too outrageous, or do, you, or do you like the way he plays? Both. Okay, so I'm kind of up in the air. See, um, is, is he an upgrade over Cam Newton? I think absolutely. Yes. But what it comes down to is how much would you have to pay Teddy Bridgewater? Is it 10-something? No. Is that, is, is that the number? No, the Carolina Panthers have to pay, like, a majority of his salary. So the Patriots, if they got him, would literally pay him, like, maybe at most $2 million or something like that. I don't know wow. the exact – rules of the nfl cba but i know it's like the panthers are paying him it's like complicated yeah as shit. the panthers are paying him a huge sum of money and the patriots would be like oh i get some pocket change okay so this is where i get drawn in if you if you if you have garoppolo in mind and you're trying to get that and you look over at teddy bridgewater i, I think you could make an argument where you want to lean to toward teddy bridgewater because you know you mentioned the whole edelman news this is where i bring it in if you can get Teddy Bridgewater, even not, even though I don't think he's the greatest quarterback, but if you can get Teddy Bridgewater, a clear-cut upgrade over Cam Newton, and like you said, you're only paying him $2 million, maybe $4 million bucks, well then, I absolutely make that move and then go out and get a wide receiver like I want them to. Like I said they should, even if they got Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that makes a whole lot more sense now if you go out and get Teddy Bridgewater. So I'm I'm with the, like I would rather Bridgewater over Garoppolo because I feel like Bridgewater is a little bit more durable, and I know absolutely, and I know a lot of his the past has been he had that one freak injury in Minnesota when he was a highly touted prospect, and then he's been a backup for a lot of time in um, the Saints organization. But I would love it. I wanted this guy last year because <laughs> I knew San Diego, uh, yeah, San Diego, um, New Orleans. There was kind of they were getting rid of him. They were going to move on. He went 5-0 and two years ago, filling in Go. for Drew Brees when Brees was injured. You know, when he had pretty good numbers in the five games, nine touchdown passes, two interceptions, 1,384 passing yards. Um, and I just think it was a bad fit for him in Carolina with Matt Rule coming from Baylor. Totally different style of offense Matt Rule runs in that Baylor offense compared to the Saints offense. And, Mike, you know, listening to some other things on TV and radio and reading some reports, they, a lot of people, the quote unquote experts say that the Patriots and the saints have a very similar offense, the scheme and the, um, and the terminology is a lot, a lot of the same. So, you know, yeah, Bridgewater's numbers didn't look too great last year, 15 touchdown passes, 11 interceptions, but not great. You know, Again, a totally different style of offense. Let's see what he could do under Bill Belichick. And I mean, I mean, hey, he threw less. I mean, he threw uh, what a lot more picks than Cam Newton, Anthony. Yeah, but you know what? This guy can at least throw the freaking <laughs> I was football. Just that. I was just joking. Oh my god, you're such a wise ass. But no, I think I would love it. And how funny would it be too? Like the Patriots bringing him in to back uh, for Cam Newton to back him up. Like that would be a riot. But. I think it would be a great move in the Patriots. Very cheap on their end. You're getting yeah, a player. I didn't realize that. You're getting a player that if if they're so keen on not giving up or losing a trade in the in the sense with the 49ers, I'd make this trade with Carolina yesterday. Yeah, I'd tell I'd tell I'd tell San Francisco and John Lynch to go screw if this is made available. You know, I'm cuz Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. It's like you said, if you if you can get the quarterback this year, and you're still under the cap and you're able to make moves, I think you should have, like you said, done it yesterday. Because, I don't know, with the whole Edelman thing, 
kind of, you know, looking like he's not going to be around much of this year. I just think I, I think you have to go out and keep going on the offense, whether that's whether that's just a quarterback, whether that's adding another wide receiver, like I said, I want them to. I'm all in on this. I At first, I wasn't. And then you hear the money that the Patriots would have to pay for him. It's obviously a clear-cut upgrade over Cam Newton. Go make the deal, and let's just move on and go and make it run out of the playoffs next season. Yeah, he would be a – you would probably make the playoffs with him as a wild card, probably. You would, you would have made the playoffs last year if you had Phillip Rivers, in my opinion. Yeah, you love Phillip Rivers. It, it, I don't love Phillip No, but Rivers. you had – you love- backed up with stats on, like, one of those episodes, so – I'll give you that one. That's a plus one from McCarthy over there. McCarthy. Um, the only thing I don't like about Bridgewater is that he wears the glove, like two gloves, like on the throwing hand, like one glove on his throwing hand. Like, oh my god! Every time I see talking that, to the homeless too. What? Is he talking to the homeless too? <laughs> Shout out, Maddie. But no, it's like, like I, I don't know, and I know Brady used to do it, but that was in like rare circumstances. I think in like games where it was like torrential rains. So did Peyton Manning. But, like, you know, Bridgewater wore him at all throughout college at his pro day. Like, whether the temperature, the sunny out, I don't know. It's just, like, I would want to feel the ball, like, the, the football and and grip it. And I, I don't know. But, hey, obviously it works for him. He's in the, he's in the show. and um, The Patriots should make that move. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I guess you agree. Uh, you, I just lost I, I just lost you first. Of course second. you did. I, I think that's what's happening. I think I, well, every, every, like, three seconds you keep cutting out. We'll fix your Wi-Fi. I'm on. I'm in my house. I have great Wi-Fi. And Mikey, the Jets, they traded franchise QB Sam Donald to the Panthers. The Jets sending Donald, the former fifth overall pick to Carolina, for a 2021 sixth-round pick, 2022 second-round pick, and a fourth-round pick in 2022 as well. Mikey, for a QB that everybody thinks has so much potential, so much talent, how did they? how did the Jets not even get a conditional pick that would turn into a first rounder for Sam Donald. Like it's well, a steal for the Panthers. It is a steal for the Panthers, but you know, I just think based off of Donald's resume in New York, there's been nothing to convince me that he's worth giving up a first round pick for Now I understand, like you said, he was, you know, a fifth round, a fifth overall pick in the draft, but you know, Adam Gase was supposed to be this great quarterback whisperer. I think Adam Gase sucks. You know how I feel about Adam Gase. But, man, I just don't think we've seen clearly enough that would have warranted a first-round pick out of this guy. I'm sure the Jets put it out there that they wanted a first-round pick in return. And and I'm willing to bet that a whole bunch of teams, including the Carolina Panthers, just laughed at him and said, you know, screw you, we'll keep Bridgewater, blah, blah, blah. And, however, I think that, you know, there came a point where it was like, well, let me, let me, let me, let me jump in, Mike. Okay, the Philadelphia Eagles traded Carson Wentz this pet this offseason, and whatever you think about Wentz, whatever his resume is a little bit better than Sam Darnold, right? Exactly. Okay, at least they still got a conditional pick that could possibly turn into a first rounder. I mean, I just don't understand how the Jets couldn't get something like that back. Well, like you said, I think Wentz's resume is a lot better than Sam Darnold. This is the same quarterback in Carson Wentz who is you know, through, what, 10 games of the season a few years ago was the clear-cut MVP till he got injured. So I think I think you can kind of dangle that over the Indianapolis Colts. With Sam Darnold, he hasn't come close to anything like that. So I think it makes a whole bunch of sense. Well, I mean, I said 
I didn't say he was the way better resume. I said it was a little bit better. But you could also say to the Colts, look it, they did the same production with Wentz. The Eagles did as the quarterback. Whatever, I'm not going to get into it. But I just think for quarterbacks in that league that are so valuable, the fact that you couldn't even get anything touching a first rounder, that that's just crazy to me. But Mikey, another team that plays on a field, your Boston Red Sox. Let's let's flip the script a little bit. After the first weekend of the season, you're one of them. You yep. Red you Red Sox people were making a line at the top of the Tobin Bridge to declare the season over already. How do you feel now after back-to-back sweeps? One, you sweep the current AL reigning champs, and then you sweep the team that sweeped you the first weekend of the season, the Baltimore Orioles. Well, I can tell you this. At the three games, I was pretty pissed off because the team sucked. But, okay, six games later, they're already in the playoffs. Is that what you're getting at? They're already in the playoffs now at six and three? No, what I'm saying is it's baseball sucks. In oh, f- I thought it was a long. It's a long season. It, though, it right? is the first four months of baseball. I would say four and a half months. Throw it out the window because it doesn't mean crap. Okay, I'm making fun of you and the Red Sox people for thinking one, the season was over before spring training was even done, and two, thinking that you know more than the damn team. How many times do I have to go on social media or I see on ESPN or whatever? You Red Sox people, oh, this team, they don't know anything. What is Heim Bloom doing? They're not going to make a move, blah, blah, blah. Relax. Let's, let's take a deep breath for a second. Okay, I'm oh, just going to... Stop, stop. You still have J.D. Martinez, who this past weekend, all he did was hit a home run every at-bat. You still have Devers, who goes yard. You still have Bogarts, who if he's not hitting home runs, he's hitting base-clearing doubles. Uh, Vasquez, yep, behind the plate. He's still He's got more pop this year so far than I've seen in his career. Uh, Marvin Gonzalez, they have, good, have a great offense. The starting pitching was a little suspect, yes. But Avaldi's all right. Erod looked decent in his first start. Um, Hauk looked all right starting, and then when he came in relief, they're going to be a middle-of-the-pack team that's going to make the wild card. It's just funny that all the people, fans, whatever, they just thought they were so much smarter than the team. They were so much oh. smarter than Heim Bloom. Have you seen the Tampa Bay Rays? The last couple of seasons, Heim Bloom built that. They just went to the World Series as a small market team. Give the man, yeah, some, but- give the man some time. He's gonna do the same thing with the Red Sox. The only thing is different. He'll have a little bit more money to so to spend add. it. Spend it. Why spend it right now when you're not gonna be like a World Series competitor? Well, then what are we talking? Okay, I'm just gonna tell you this. In 2019, through the first 10 games of the season, right, the Red Sox were two and eight, and they couldn't, they could not get themselves out of the hole. I'm telling you right now, if if that happened this year, it would have been the same exact season as 2019. You sure? So, I'm, 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 I'm positive. Okay? In 2019, you had Mookie Betts. 2019, you had Xander Bogarts. You had some similar guys who were still on this team back then, too. And guess what? You couldn't crawl your way out of 2-8. and eight. So, after they were 0-3, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, well, oh boy, this is going to be another 2019 similar season. Now I understand you come on, they were coming off a World Series hangover, but you know, I'm a big advocate for you can't win in in April, but you can certainly lose a season in April. And I think that's the route the Red Sox were headed down after that first series with Baltimore. Yeah, I get you can lose it in April, you can't win it, but they also had Alex Cora in 2019 and they have him right now. So you know, I think he's just... I'm just telling you, after three games, it was kind of scary. 
Mikey, it was the first weekend of the series. I mean, of the well, season. It was the first week of the season in 2019. They didn't come back from it. Well, that's because you had the World Series hangover, like you just mentioned. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I think they got their asses in gear right away this year after getting swept like that. And they were like, you know what? Let's go. And I think that's what you're seeing. Do I think they're going to make the World Series? No. Do I think they're going to win the division? No. Are they going to make the second wild card? Most likely. Yeah. Nah, I don't know. Okay. I'm not convinced of that. Just yet. I, well, I think they will. So... I don't, I don't think 85 wins is enough. That's what I had. Well, that's why they're going to have 89. and They'll make the second wild card. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I mean, think about it, though. The Yankees, they look like trash so far. I don't care what, what their win total is. I don't think they look good at all. Uh, the only one hitting for them is Sanchez, unless they're up by eight runs. Then Judge and um, the other guy there, the other outfielder from the Marlins, Stanton. Okay? Unless the Yankees are up by eight runs, that's, that's the only time those guys will hit a home run. I think that while we're on, I think they're the biggest frauds in the division. The team I would look out for is Toronto. While we're on Sanchez for a second, can I just say, will Garrett Richards shave that disgusting, dirty Sanchez around his mouth off? Please, just do us all a favor. That thing is disgusting. Hell is Garrett Richards? What's that? Who's that? Freaking Dick Richards, the guy on the Red Sox. Mikey, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a Sox fan. <laughs> the pitcher again. It was the guy who gave up batting practice oh, oh. to the Orioles in game three. All right. So when I hear the name Garrett in baseball, I think of Garrett Anderson. Remember the outfield that used to be for the Angels? Angels, yes, yeah. Really good pickup in MVP 05. But, um, yeah, he was with Troy Gloss on that team. Dude, I think. the Angels were filthy in that game. Bartolo Colon, big heavy starter. Um, but right. let, me, let me ask you this, okay? Did you happen to see the last game of the series last week against the Tampa Bay Rays? The Red yes. Sox you game? know why you didn't? Because I'm going to answer it for you. Because MLB is so freaking stupid and put it on. I so- did watch it actually. And put it on something called YouTube TV. Okay. Let me ask you this, Mike. Baseball is already hard enough to watch as a sport. <laughs> why the hell, okay, are you going to put it on something that, you know, so many people aren't even going to one realize it and two want to deal with the headache to try and get it on their computer? You can't even watch it on TV unless you have an app. See, this is where I'm with you. A baseball game that is losing ratings as it is on national TV, and you're going to take that away and just put it on a streaming service or something like YouTube. I think you want. I, I think they want baseball to die out because that's sad. That is absolutely sad. The AL East, you know, they're probably the most competitive division in baseball, and you're going to put two teams from the AL East on YouTube. I mean, if this was the if if these if this was the freaking I don't know Arizona Diamondbacks against the Pittsburgh Pirates, maybe. But this is a top market team in the Red Sox against a team in Tampa who won the division last year, and you're gonna put that game on YouTube so no one can really see it. Or and the people who can't see it, how about the people who are a little bit older who don't know what the hell they're doing with the freaking smartphone or whatever with the computer or youtube i agree that's just it's just an absolute joke it's stupid like you just said why do the red sox got to be the guinea pigs in this whole thing it the you know one of the best known franchises in mlb against the team that made the world series last year and mike you know me i'm not a red sox fan but i have the games on sometimes just to have on in the background right how many people like to just have baseball on in the background and whatever you can't do both they totally took away they exactly. totally took that's away where the i team. have a problem the younger demographic is going to watch it on a tablet or a smartphone or a computer. Because I get news for the MLB. 
younger kids, the younger generation doesn't want to watch your stupid product. It sucks. It's boring. They're out playing lacrosse. They're out playing basketball. They're hell. The old neighborhood I used to live in, my parents just told me kids were out there playing street hockey because we live on a circle. Nobody wants to watch baseball. So stop thinking you're going to reinvent how we watch things. Because guess what? Even when it's on TV, people might have it on. They're still not watching it. Yeah, that's where I have a problem, too. You mentioned it's sort of like, why not do both? Why can't you air it on Nesson and do it on YouTube? Oh, it's got to be exclusive. Well, then that I just I, I just think you're handicapping. You're handicapping the actual people who want to watch the game. And then anyone who might think about watching the game as they're scrolling through their TV, you're eliminating that too. It's going to be, no, if you want to watch the game, you actually have to go on YouTube and find it. Joke. Absolute waste of time. And by the way, have you ever tried to sign into something on the computer? You've you, you got to make a, a name, your email, and then a, 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 a contact name. You know, not a contact name, but like a... Um, like a screen name while wow, I just dated myself. Then you got to put a password and then you have to confirm your password, but then you miss the letter. So it doesn't match. And then a, four boxes pop up to X out of them. Another box pops up and it's like, it's just, you know what? Yeah, then you got to lo- log into your email and confirm. Yeah. The and then you're locked out of that because you put an X instead of a Y and it's just, you know what? Just shove the baseball where it don't shine because I'm not watching it. I did watch it on YouTube, but yeah, <laughs> shut the hell up. I didn't. Okay. I didn't. And I'm not the only one. Some history made because no, I'll tell you why I watched it on YouTube because I was at working. I was at working. Yeah, what great English. I was at work, and the people I'm working with are you know, born in 1925. How the hell are they gonna know how to go on YouTube? So so I had to be, I had to be the one to go on YouTube, put it on for them because those people are still the people who really really like baseball, and not none of those individuals could watch it. So so I had to so I had to go. I had to be the one to go put it on YouTube for him. They're like, what the hell is YouTube? It's it's stupid. Um, Mikey, some history made over the weekend as we had this little golf tournament called the Masters. Uh, 2021 Masters winner is Hideki Matsuyama. He is the, Almost he is away. the first men's professional golfer to win a major golf championship. He won by one stroke. Mike, did you watch the 18th hole? He's up by two. He misses the putt from about five feet. Oh, yep. I was like, no way, no way. I kind of wanted to see him. I feel like I that. wanted to see him miss that last little, like, Me too. Little, I don't know, six inch putt just to like go to overtime. But nonetheless, he won in like, history. No, yeah. I feel like the energy kind of got sucked out of him on that, on that miss. Cause, you know, after he made that second putt where he really had to make it, he was just kind of like, all right, thanks. Yeah. Like, this is good. But it would have, it would have been nice to hit that on the putt. No, but, you know, one thing about these golf tournaments that just cracks me up, Anthony, are the announcers, right? So the announcers on TV are like, they're like a thousand yards away from the hole. And they just, Justin Rose. it's like, dude, you're 5,000 yards away from the hole. Can you talk? Please talk. I can't hear a single word you're saying. They're sitting there. I, I, I get it. I get it. It's, it's, it's the whole golf etiquette thing. The whole golf. Oh, 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 he's in his back screen. That's so freaking true, Mike. Like, it's like, dude, talk, talk, speak. <laughs> That's so legit. And I know, like, they're just trying to play into the whole aspect of golf and the, the the golf. Is there, by the way, is there anything more douchey than a golf clap? Like, it just has like a ring to it. Like the like clapping noise. It's like, oh god. Like you're there with your your salmon colored shorts, 
your stupid your Tommy visor. Bahama button three button shirt with your collar just right. Like it's just ah uh, god. Like I don't know, but I I can't stand the how the voice just goes so soft, even though they're from some little booth, which is like on the other side of the freaking golf course, and they're just like Justin Rose. He's- they're, dude, they're watching. They're watching the golf tournament the same way we are on a freaking screen. Like, they're not exactly. even like you said. It's exactly. like, all right, here's Dustin Johnson. He's really gonna line up that putt. Gust of wind. We're gonna wait a second here. And by the way, Jim Nance, like, he's good at calling football games and even college basketball. But I don't know. It just aggravates me calling golf. And then, well. While we're at it on golf, one thing I just want to see you like die down a little bit is this whole golf etiquette thing. Oh no, you're on the green. Oh, I gotta walk on this side of the green. I can't walk that way. I want to see guys lose their freaking mind. I think that that puts asses in seats. I mean, like, is golf okay to watch sometimes at, at at the right time? I guess, but man, if you allow these guys to actually throw fits and and allow the fans to actually chirp these players. I think that would make golf a hundred times better. I want to see more like that other Japanese guy or who snapped his putter or broke his putter. I want to see more of that. I want to see guys take their putter, take their club, and just smash it into the green and five feet of grass comes out of the thing. I want to see more I of that. I can totally picture you being at like a golf tournament and like some guys like all intense, you know, like. Or, or female, they're, they're about ready to putt it, and all of a sudden I just hear you being like, oh, you suck! Oh, here comes the putter throw and, and shit like that. But I think the best thing I saw over the Masters weekend, and I saw it all over social media, you know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. I don't know yeah. the kid's name. He's a, apparently a rookie, a young guy on the tour, but he looks just like the caddy in Happy Gilmore. I mean, <laughs> we go yeah, exactly. That alone was like, I guess, price of admission, but... Uh, What's his name? Zalastar? I don't freaking know. Like the kid that gets choked out by Happy Gilmore during that song. <laughs> he gets tossed when he tells him he's his No, but <laughs> yeah. When he's like, you guys haven't provided me one with you. Uh, but, oh, by the way, that's Zalatoris. But like you said, he made a million. Can we get some like golfers that have some like edge to them? You had the guy a couple years ago, Duffner, who was a pudgy guy, would always be packing dingers. You know, that was kind of cool. But the golf people were like, Oh, well, uh, we don't approve of that. And, uh, like, just give me some pizzazz. I'm sick of watching the same cookie-cutter guys like Spieth or some other nerdy guy with, like, a Daryl this The other guy, oh, he's got, like, the, the Dobie kind of face. But um, Fowler. Ricky it's Fowler? Ricky Fowler. Like, same guy. You know, they've been at a country club since age four. You know, they got everything's prim and proper. Give me the guy with the long hair who's chugging a beer with the fans. Like, golf needs some attitude. Arnold Palmer with the cigarette exactly, hanging out of his exactly. mouth. Exactly. Give me some entertainment. I'm sick of seeing the same crap. No, I'll tell you who'd be a great golfer. Yeah, Mike Trout, guy with zero personality. He'd be, he'd be perfect. That's, that's, that's true. Oh, my God. Oh, by the way, he can, he can absolutely mash a goal. I don't know if you've seen that yes. video of Mike Trout. At the top golf? At the driving range. Yeah, he could absolutely Dude, mash. imagine Bryce Harper playing golf. Oh, my God. He would be good because he's got actually got a little d bag in him and some oh, personality dude, and to him. So I, I think he would be. Can awesome you imagine like, like somebody chirps him? He would. I think he would swing a club at the person. Like he would turn around. Like those eyes. That's, that's what I mean. That's what that I mean. I want to cool. see that. I want like, no, Fowler or Speed or whatever would just be like, 
uh, security, we don't approve of that. I'm in a very intense match right now. Uh, I'm about 360 from the pin, and I cannot have that disruption. Uh, sir, that's just the wind blowing. Yeah. Uh, can you please, like, just freaking putt? Yeah, some guy's whistling at me. Oh, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the wind. So, by the way, speaking of Bryce Harper, did you see that play last night in the Braves-Phillies game on Sunday Night Baseball? The only thing I saw about the Phillies lately was that uh, reliever coming in. Tossing See, that was last ball. season. But all right, so real quick, because I, I didn't even think to mention this. And this is just a horrible look for baseball. 6-6, to, uh, top of the ninth inning. The game's in Atlanta. And Alec Baum, rookie third baseman for the Phils, is on third. He's with two out, uh, one out, excuse me. And it's Didi Gregorius at the plate. Well, he hits one to left field, but it's kind of shallow, right? So Ozuna for the Braves makes the catch and Bohm tags up. He's running, beats the throw that it looks. But on second look, when Bohm slides, his foot comes up and doesn't even touch home plate. Umpires call him safe, but then they go to review it, right? Oh, this is they, they got, got it wrong? wrong. And they still call them safe. And it's yep. like, even Bohm knew it was out. Everybody knew it was out. And they still call them safe. And the best part was they cut over to the Braves manager who just takes his hat off and just tosses it up in the air like a graduation cap, looks at his hat, makes sure he sees where it goes, and then goes out and argues. But it's like, wow, baseball, you just cannot get out of your own way. I can't oh, – it just I'm, – I'm almost at the point where I just want to see replay just be strictly like home runs or something and like balls that might be trapped because this kind of nonsense is just driving me nuts, especially when they make a wrong call, they go to the replay, and they still get it wrong. It's just – I feel like you have more to lose. I want to, I want to see more blown calls by the MLB. I think I, I think that's, you know, as kind of ridiculous as it sounds, I think that's kind of good for baseball when you have these really close calls on the bases or at home plate, and the umpire makes us. I'll make an example of it. A few years, I might, this might be ten years now. When that I forget his name, maybe Galarraga, maybe. Yes. He was throwing a, per, a perfect game. Yes, he had perfect game. And there's that close. It wasn't really that close at first either. And the umpire yes. just called him safe, called him safe. And then after the game, he was like, "Oh, I screwed up, man. I really screwed up." I mean, if you had replay, then it absolutely would have had the kid the perfect game. But man, there's something about the real time, the umpire that I, the I human like error. It. I like it. I, I you know exactly. replay in all sports exactly. just sucks. I mean, in the NHL, you got to review if a guy's skate blade was half inch off the ice. Like, come on, will you? basketball they review the fingertips the out of bounds give me the human error of the game you know what because you know what it creates controversy it creates talking points give me the human error and it yeah, creates exactly. robots you know what it's just stupid review sucks uh whatever replay sucks but real quick mikey my last thought on the show today a lot of hockey talk well deserved nhl trade deadline Shout out to the UMass Minutemen for winning the men's D1 National Championship Saturday night, beating St. Cloud State 5-0 as they win the school's first championship. Great for them, but even better, the game Thursday night against Minnesota Duluth, they won an overtime 3-2. They were down 2-1 halfway through the third. They tie it up and just completely lay a shit-kicking on the uh, Minnesota Duluth in overtime. They outshot them like 13-2 to two or some stupid stat like that. And it was just a matter of time before they won it. So, Mikey, quick quick shout-out to you, man. How many, how many, 
Yeah, absolutely. How many freaking teams are in the tournament from either Massachusetts or Minnesota? It just seemed like every team UMass played was against some team in Minnesota, whether it's St. Cloud State, you know, UMD or Minnesota State. It's just I just feel like these tournaments are Massachusetts re- versus Minnesota when it comes to hockey. Well, it's first always, off, yeah, the always. Final Four was like Minnesota State or something, something like that. They were the purple and yellow team. St. Cloud State, which is in Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth, and then you had um, UMass. But just go back, watch the movie Miracle, and that team. That was all Minnesota BUBC guys. So the two, it's like hockey players from Boston and Minnesota. The two, uh, the two hockey hotbeds. Those players in college hockey, they're playing for something. They're absolutely playing for something. They're prospects. They want to get drafted, and they're going a buck ten up and down the ice, and the hitting. The oh my god, it's insane! Is is there's, pl- there's plenty of it. yeah. It's like that game against Minnesota Duluth. It was just big hit after big hit, um, and it's great to see. Before the world shut down, we started going to a bunch of college games. My brother and I, BUBC, and it's just really good hockey, and it should get more exposure. The Hushkas, dude. Yeah, when they won the Hockey East in 2016, me and you sat at the glass. That was sick. You Lowell, right? So, Mikey, yeah, do you have something to say before the end of the show? I just, you know, I'm just getting, I'm not getting sleep right now. And, and I'll tell you why I'm not getting sleep. Okay. It's freaking bothering me. Okay. So it's that time of year where, you know, it's getting nicer out. You know, you sleep with your window open. And it's probably a little too cool to throw your AC on. Although I, I might debate that at times because I'm someone who really enjoys the AC on while you go to bed. So, you know, the last couple of weeks or so, I've been sleeping with my window open. I completely forgot how freaking annoying the birds are in the tree behind my house. There's, there's a tree, like, you know, like, real close to my window. So as soon as that little first tiny ray of sunlight comes up, you hear the... <laughs> it's 5.27 in the morning, okay? I can deal with that. I can deal with the bird. You know, they might wake me up at 5.40 in the morning, but I'll fall back to sleep with the birds chirping. What really pisses me off is every morning... Right at 7 a.m., you got two freaking annoying ass woodpeckers just going nuts, and I'm 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 losing my mind because I'm like, dude, it's seven o'clock. Shut that! I I I just want to like lean out the window and flip the fucking bird off, but dude, it 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 drives me insane because these woodpeckers have been in the same spot the last like eight years or so, and it's the same time. Every morning, what can you at least wait till nine when it de- when the rest of the freaking world is up to start going ham on your wood? <laughs> can say the same to you. And like, it's so bizarre too because it's like it's so evenly timed. So it's like the woodpecker will start chirping at the wood for like a solid five six seconds, and then he'll rest for four, and then he'll start going off again for another six. It's like, dude, I'm not even getting like a buffer period where I can just relax <laughs> and try to fall back to sleep. It's just, it's just repetitive. It's just down to the single second. It's perfectly timed. With, it, oh, it just drives me. I cannot wait until it gets hot out so I can just turn the – I'm not going to close my window either because it gets too hot in my room. My room's either way too hot or way too cold. So I'm not, I'm not going to close my window to get some sleep just because it's a freaking bird. It's just – oh, I just – I want the warm weather to get here so I can so, put the freaking AC on. I Yeah, I'm with you. You got to have the windows open, especially this time of year. It wasn't a good time. I got – I. I heard it through my dad. He freaking was not too happy. <laughs> like in uh, uh, Talladega Nights, when 
You talk about an overrated oh movie. My Talladega Nights. Are you kidding me? Shake it back. It's just always on TV. I don't really find I don't really oh find Will Ferrell that funny at all. Man. Even in Anchorman and Step Brothers, not dude. Just, have, I don't know. I don't know. I just have you seen really the movie, movie um, The Other Guys? It's got him, um, sure. Mark Wahlberg in it. They're in New York City to be cops, dude. What he uh, Will Ferrell oh. is freaking hilarious in that movie. I love Will Ferrell. I think he's so funny. I'll take Jim Carrey over Will Ferrell any day. That's close. That's a good one. But I feel like with people, you either like Will Ferrell or you hate him. So, um, but uh, Mikey, anything else to wrap up the show today? This episode of Off the Rails was brought to you by Dan Latelier's team at Remax Realty. Dan is your man when it comes to your buying or home selling needs. He serves all of York and Cumberland County in Maine, and he can be reached at. Dan Letellier, that's D-A-N-L-E-T-E-L-L-I-E-R at Remax.net. Or you can get him on the phone call at 207-590-1776 in the master's voice. That's 207-590-1776. Very nice, Mikey. Uh, Mikey, until next week, buddy. Talk to you.